Amen. Well, as Cody mentioned earlier, we're on the last week, the last leg of the uh, Getting to Know Your Elder series on the book of Psalms. Today we'll be reading out the book of Psalms in Psalms 40. And uh, I just want to share something with you. I'm not going to I'm not going to bore you with my testimony. Most of you have already heard it a million times. You're probably saying, thank God right now. We don't have time for that. But, but I do want to say this. When, when Cody challenged us earlier to, to reflect and look back on what God's done for us in our lives, what can we be thankful for? What, take, he said, take 30 seconds to reflect back and think what we have to be thankful for and what God's done in our lives. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. I think we need to do that more often. I think we need to stop. Just stop and think back on what God's done up to this point. And when we realize and we look and we see and give God the glory and the credit for what he's done up to this point, how can we worry? How can we live in fear for what he's going to do from here on out? God has a plan for our lives. And we're going to see that in Psalms 40. And we're going to see David struggling with the same thing that we struggle with so often in the pit. Struggling, suffering. What does he do? He cries out to God. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to cry out to God. And we're going to ask him to come into our hearts and to minister to us. Open our eyes and open our minds to see what he has in store for us. And just remind us that he's in charge. We're not, we're not doing this. He's doing this. We're just alone for the ride. We're just fortunate enough that he loves us enough that he's taken over and that he's done it in our lives. I just want to say this uh, as far as testimonies, which is, is a big part of this scripture today. I say this all the time. If you've ever spent any time around me, you've heard me say this before. I am living proof that God is still in the miracle business. Just the fact that I'm able to stand here today and allow God to just, or not allow God, but, but to be honored by God, to, to have him allow me to come up here and deliver this passage of scripture is an absolute miracle. And some of you know me, a few of you might have known me before I rededicated my life and most of you know me afterwards. But I promise you that when David talks about being delivered out of the pit of destruction, that is exactly what God did in my life. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure everyone in here at some point or another has been in that kind of pit and been in that kind of position so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to, in uh, Psalms 40, we want to talk about, uh, look at what David uh, was at this point in his time, how he handled it, what his thoughts were, and what do we do? What do we do when we come to the place where David is in his life in this time of Scripture? So if you would, stand as we read the word, reading of God, if you're, if you're able. Stand with us as we read Psalms 40. Psalms 40 is called, is entitled, My Help and My Deliverer. That's who God is. That's exactly who he is. Nothing shorter than that. My help and my deliverer. It starts off, it says, to the choir master, Psalm of David. Now, when I, I've probably run through these psalms, I don't know how many times, and I've seen that so many times to the choir master. You know. But this particular time, this, this last past couple of weeks, when I was last week especially, when I read that to the choir master, I thought about Andrew. I think I'm going to start calling Andrew the choir master. I'm telling you, 
y'all, he did such an awesome job last week. Each week has been powerful, and, and I am so honored to be a part of this elder body and of this family. But last week, Andrew, I mean, he just showed out, y'all. He just really did. I mean, behind the scenes, a lot of people have no idea what he did uh, as Cody and, and John were out, and, and he was holding the reins by himself. So from now on, when I, when I talk to Andrew, he's the choir master in my mind, as far as I'm concerned. So it says here in verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, I'm telling you, that will preach for days in itself. I mean, we could just, we could reflect on that and then go to the house. We could teach on that for days and it would change our lives. I waited patiently on the Lord. Now, I don't know how many of y'all are very patient people. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm not the patient type of person. But I've learned that when I, when I stop pushing, stop trying to make it happen myself, stop trying to understand the whole thing and just patiently wait on the Lord. Miracles happen, amazing things happen, life changes happen. Patiently wait upon the Lord. Those first six words in the first verse in this passage are the answer to most of the prayers that you have in your life today. Most of the prayers that you've brought before God can be answered in those six words. Patiently wait upon the Lord. Let's look at uh, verse 11 real quick. Uh, I intended to preach on verse 1 through 10. I was going to kind of stick to that, and I was going to focus mainly on 1 and 2, which is just so much in there, just, just in the first two uh, verses. And uh, I was going to preach 1 through 10, basically one, 1 and 2, and then go through the rest and come back on and finish up on 10. And then Cody posted 11 <laughs> on Facebook. And I guess it just slipped me. I guess it just, it just got I guess I was just so focused on 1 through 10, that didn't really stop and pay attention to what it says in verse 11. Listen to this in verse 11. As for you, O Lord, I will not, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. So this is David. He's praying to God. He's, he, he, he's already asked God to deliver him and to, to come back into his life again and, and deliver him. And he's, he's asking him here, he's telling him here, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy for me. You will not restrain your mercy for me. And if we look back, we see where that's so true. But here's the part I really love. He said, your steadfast love and faithfulness, faithfulness will ever preserve me. God will preserve us. He will preserve us for his glory. He will take care of us. He will watch over us. But we have to trust in him. We have to depend on him. And more than anything, we have to know him. And who he is and what he's, what he's done. So I love that, that passage of scripture. Uh, there's another one in Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, it talks about uh, God knows the plans that he has for our lives. He already knows. He knows the plans he has for your life. He's not shocked by what's going on in your life. He's not shocked that you're worried or concerned about it. He's not worried about it. He already knows the plans that he has in your life. All we have to do is be obedient, seek him, listen for him, and then act on his word, and everything will fall into place. So he already knows the plans he has on our life. So it shouldn't be a problem. We shouldn't have any problem. We should just, everything should be fine. We should walk in confidence. We should be happy and no worries at all. But unfortunately, we live in a broken world. This world we live in is broken, and we know that. 
And the only way that we can even, that we can even keep our sanity living in the world we live in today is by hearing from God, is by crying out to God and asking him to deliver us and to, to clear our minds and give us peace and give us his, his word and understanding. Right here it says, in verse 1 it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Now David said, I waited patiently. Patiently I waited on the Lord. And eventually, in God's time, in due time, it says, he inclined to me and heard my cries. Well, what does that mean? That means God in heaven, the creator of everything in existence, heard David's cry. And in his due time, he leaned down and said, I hear you. I hear you. He leaned down from heaven, put his ear out. He said, he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. Romans 4, Romans 8, 14 through 17 tells us that our Abba Father hears our cries. He hears the cries of his children. But we can't ignore verse 17 in this scripture. Romans 18, or Romans 8, 14 through 7 tells us that God hears the cries of his children. That if, if we belong to him, that if we are adopted, that we become children of God. That I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm fired. I'm fired. I am so sorry. Please, please forgive me. I, I, how awesome that, yeah, how awesome that y'all were just like, okay. He's not going to let us sit. We're going to stand like he does all the, the whole service. Thank y'all so much for being seated and forgive me for not, <laughs> for not asking you to do so. Cody, my job's in jeopardy. <laughs> Thank y'all so much. I appreciate that. I tell you, you kind of work with me. I am a little nervous. You know, I, I, I talked with Cody the other day and I told him, he said, he said, are you ready? I said, well, I'm ready as I'll ever be, I guess. And I said, I'm a little nervous, but I'm excited which is, you know, natural to be nervous. You know, you're coming up here and you're delivering the word of God and you're allowing him to use you. But uh, we can't help but let ourselves get involved in that and we get nervous. And I told him I'm a little nervous. And Cody shared with me, he said, I get nervous every time I go up there. And I said, you? As long as you've been doing this? You know, you get nervous? He said, yeah, yeah. It's serious, it's a big deal. And I thought, man, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. It's not awesome that, that he gets nervous, but it's awesome that he still feels in his heart the urgency to deliver God's word and to let God flow through him in such a way that it makes him nervous, even after all these times. I told him, I said, I guess it's kind of like what they say about hunting. They say if you, if you hunt, if you if you're ever in a stand and a deer walks out and you don't get nervous or you don't feel some kind of excitement, it's time for you to quit hunting. You know, you're just not taking this thing serious enough or you just, it's not for you. So to be nervous is natural. But I pray today that, that God will just move me out of the way. Just move me out of the way. I don't want to try to force anything. I don't want to try to add to anything, take away, or make this anything besides exactly what it is. This is David teaching us how to deal with situations 
in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Now, our situations are a little bit different than David's. David, most of the time, as David reigned as a king, even before he reigned as a king, he was in fear for his life. People wanted to kill David. They wanted to destroy him and his entire nation and his entire kingdom. People wanted to kill him, and I don't think... Uh, I don't think anyone in here is in danger for you. I don't think anybody is out to kill you. I hope they're not. If they are, then please let us pray for you. But, <laughs> but, uh, but David's situation was, was different than ours, and it may look more serious than ours, and he might have more of a reason to fear than we did, but it's the same thing. Whatever it is you're going through in your life, it's serious to you, and it's a situation to you. And you may feel like you're stuck in a pit, you may feel like, like you're, you're stuck. And when you cry out to God, which I pray you do, I pray that's a, the response that you have, that when you realize there's nothing else you can do about this, that you cry out to God. Now, the question is, when we cry out to God, and I've had so many people ask this, does God really hear me? Does God really answer prayers? So that'll be our first point, our first fill in the blank this morning is, God does hear us. He does hear us. No matter what you think, no matter what you feel, even if you don't hear back from him, he hears us. And he always answers prayer. Now, sometimes he may say no. He may know something that you don't know, see something that you don't see in the future and know what's best for you. He may say no. Sometimes he may say not at this time. Usually, he has a different way, a different plan, and a different route that he's going to take, and we don't understand it, so we get excited. But God does hear our, he hears our cries, just like he did David here in this scripture. Verse 2 says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Man. That's huge. Have you ever been in the pit of destruction or in a miry bog? Have you ever just been stuck knowing that God will draw you up, that he will pull you out, that he will, that will take and put your feet on solid ground on a rock, it will make you stable in all your ways? That's huge. That's absolutely life-changing. So I've got a couple pictures here. Uh, Andrew Give me the idea last week when he was preaching, he had some slides, some pictures put on the screen. So I thought I'd try to just put a few pictures up here to kind of walk through. Have you, have you ever been, any of you, any of you ever been mud riding, mud bogging, mud riding, you know, get out there in the mud and sling mud and look what I could do, you know, and see how far I could push this. Have you ever been just mud riding, just out, just no, no purpose, no, you know, rhyme or reason. I just want to get in the mud and see how far I can go. And I'm probably going to get stuck. We do that in life a lot as well, you know. I'm going to have some pictures up here. Well, okay, there it is. <laughs> I don't see it in the back, so I'm, I'm apologize. There I am, stuck in the mud. Now, fortunately, I'm just playing there, so it's not a severe situation. It's not like I'm in danger or in dire need or whatever. But I'm stuck in the mud. I'm out there trying to show what I can do. Look what I can do. And I'm stuck in the mud. It happens. We all, we all get there. But the next picture, you see someone's coming to help me. Because I'm not getting out of the mud unless somebody comes up, hooks a winch up to me, and pulls me out. It's just not happening. And in order for them to do that, he's coming through the mud to get to me so that he can hook up and pull me out. And then the next picture you see, 
we're on solid ground. We're back where we belong. Right back on, the, right back on solid ground. Now, here's the funny part is, how many of you know sooner or later we're going to be back in the mud? We're just going to be back in the mud. That's what we do, you know. When we, when we do this, when we go out and, and we play and, and we get in the mud and we have fun and then we get stuck, and it, it's kind of funny, it's kind of sweet, it's kind of light. But what David's talking about here is he's in a, he's in a bog. He's in a, just a miry bog. The King James Version says he's in a clay pit. I mean, he's just, you ever been in the, in the clay, like try to climb up a clay bank? There's no grip. When you get there, you just slide and slide and slide, and your feet can't grip nothing. If you ever try, tried to climb up a, a steep clay bank, there's no way that you can get out of it. As you're stuck in it. But David is showing us here that when you get there, in your mind and in your life, in the situations that are going on around you, we have a deliverer. We have a helper. And all we have to do is cry out, but patiently, patiently wait for him to deliver. Now, there's another pit that I want to talk about today. This is a different pit. This is a pit called what, they, this, what it used to be referred to as a, a prison pit. It's where they put somebody in a pit and they hold them until they, uh, and, you know, until they take them to trial or whatever they're going to do with them. Uh, we see it, we see it uh, in uh, Joseph with his brothers. They threw him in a the pit. There's no way he could get out. Kept him in there until they could figure out what they were going to do with him. Sold him as slaves. We know the, sold him as a slave. We know the story. But there's a pit in Israel. There's a church in Israel that stands today, and in that church, there's another pit. This is a pit. It's called the sacred pit. Now, before Christ, that would have been considered a prison pit, and this is the picture of the church here, and then we'll, we have another picture of the outside of the church. That's a statue of the Roman soldiers, and we have a picture of the church, and then this last picture is a picture of the pit. Now, this is where they put Jesus when they catch him. This, this church is where uh, Caiaphas' house used to be. This pit is in Caiaphas' house. The high priest has a prison pit in his house for anybody that comes against him or, you know, for whatever reason he wants to have them arrested, he puts them in this pit. This pit is a hole in the floor. Like when you walk into the church, you see this hole, just a round hole in the middle of the floor. And when you look down in it, this hole is 20 foot deep and 15 foot wide. No doors, no windows, no light. It's just a pit. And they take a rope and they tie you, tie a rope to your, or make a harness to tie around your shoulders, and they lower you down in the pit. And they pull the rope up. There's no way you're getting out of this pit on your own. There's no way. That's what it's designed for. There's just no possible way that you can be in that it's, it's, it's a box with a hole in the top. There's no way you can get out. That's what this pit is designed for. So these were, these were considered prison pits or holding pits at that time. But when they lowered Jesus into the pit, it changed things. Now they call it the sacred pit. They call it the sacred pit because they put Jesus in there thinking that they could stop him, that they could hush him up, that they could remove him from what they're doing, that they can take him out of their lives and continue to do the things that they were doing and live the lives that they were living. What a surprise when they pulled him out of the pit and they decided to go even farther and crucify him and put him on the cross and make him die in the most horrible way known to mankind. You know that the, the crucifixion at that time 
was invented by the Romans. The Romans wanted to have something so horrible, make such a statement that anybody that's seen it would have just fear would run through their bodies. Fear of going against the Romans, of going against what they're, what they're told to do. The crucifixion was such a harsh death that a Roman citizen himself could not be put to death by crucifixion. It was too cruel. Now, they didn't mind putting everybody else to death that way for, for hardened crimes, but a Roman citizen couldn't be crucified. It was too cruel of a death. So they went from put him in the pit, discuss what we're going to do with him, go back and forth, finally to decide, and they holler, and they cry out, crucify him, crucify him, kill him, take him away, remove him. They crucified Jesus, and we know the story. They killed him. He allowed it. He came here for that exact purpose. But on the third day, on the third day, it changed everything. It changed everything. Can you imagine how his disciples, how the people that were close to him, the people that loved him, can you imagine how they felt when they took Jesus, when they captured him, and when they beat him, and when they put him in that pit, and then they pulled him out, and they beat him more, and they sent him up, put him on the cross, and let him die a horrible death? Can you imagine the three days after that, how they felt? I don't care how strong a Christian or believer you are, when you see something like that firsthand in your life, you question yourself. You question the reality of, did, am I doing the right thing? Did I, am I in the right place? Did I understand completely what he was talking about? Because now he's gone. But when we look back, Jesus had told them exactly what was going to happen. He explained to them exactly what was going to happen. Jesus rose again on the third day. And then again, can you imagine how they felt then? Can you imagine the joy, the relief, thinking that, hey, I didn't just throw away the last three years of my life. I didn't just walk away from everything I owned and everything I had for no reason. He had a greater purpose, greater than any worries they had, greater than any possession they had. He had a purpose and a plan for their life. He was going to send them into the world and tell people, about Jesus and his purpose for being here, to die for our sins so that we could have a better life. If we had chose, if, if we were God, which obviously we're not, but if we had chose to come to earth and deliver each and every person from their sins, we would have not done it the way God did it. We wouldn't even consider doing it that way. If you look at it, just looking at it, it seems crazy. I mean, you took your son from heaven, you sent him to earth and let him become a man while he's still God, and then you let us murder him. And as we're murdering, he's got the ability to destroy this entire planet with one word, and he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's Jesus. That's God in a nutshell. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He knows who we are. He knows what we do. We can hide our sins and we can fool people all day long, but God knows. And he sent his son for that sole purpose, for that exact, for that exact day, for what you're going through in your life right now. He sent his son, and he let him live and let him stay in a pit until he was crucified 
So now we call that the sacred pit because Jesus changed everything. Jesus is the one that God sent here to earth to pull us out of that miry bog, to pull us out of the pit of destruction. He did it. It's done. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to make it happen. It is finished. It is done. All we have to do is accept it. Trust on him. Lean to him. Seek him. And we'll find everything we need. All the answers to any question or any problem you have in your life is in this book. It's a living word. So we see Jesus. He's in the pit. He's delivered. Verse 3. I'm sorry. The rest of verse 2. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my step secure. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and he is the Lord over your life now, he has already set your feet on solid ground. If you slip off and you get stuck in the mud and you get stuck in the miry pit, the solid ground is still there. And he will pull you up every time. He will grab you and pull you out every time. He will deliver you. But you have to know him you have to accept him for who he is and what he's done. And then you have to take your rightful place in the kingdom of heaven. Once you do that, it's established. He will always be there and God will always hear your cries. But if you haven't made that decision in your life today, maybe it's something we should think about. Maybe it's something God's talking about right here. Maybe a lot of the problems that we have in our lives are self-induced. In mine, probably 90% if not more. But we have a deliverer and we have a helper that has come to help us and deliver us from this exact thing. Verse 3. Verse 3 said, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now I've seen this personally firsthand, how God can take someone who is lost and just, just so far caught up in a broken world that people would say, there's no hope for this guy. Have you ever looked at somebody like that and said, there's no hope for this guy. He'll never make it. He'll never call on God. He'll never trust in God. He will never do better than what he's doing. See God take a person like that and touch their hearts and change their minds and change their life. And then when that person goes out and got, people start seeing the difference in his life, start seeing the changes in her life, when they see that, it touches them. He says, he put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. When you put your trust in the Lord, it doesn't only affect you, but it affects everyone around you. If you have children, loved ones, or even friends that you care anything about, it will not only change your life, it will change theirs as well. And it's amazing how God does it and how he works in that. Verse 4 says, Blessed is the man that makes, his tr makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud and who does not go astray after a lie. That's simple. That's self-explanatory. We can chase after God or we can chase after the world. Whichever one we catch up with is what we're going to get. That's where we're going to end up. Five says, you have multiplied, O Lord, my, O God, 
My God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us, none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, I will, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Now, I don't know about you in your life, but I know in my life, God has, has moved in my life in more ways than I can tell you. I, I really, I probably can't even remember, and I probably don't even know all of the ways that God has moved in my life. But I know he always has, and he's always done it in his due time, and in his way, in his manner. He's always done it when I trust in him. Verse, verse 6 says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. A burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. He has given us an open ear. That's, that's, that's huge. That's big. He's given us an open ear. If we seek him, if we listen for him, if we look for him, he will, he will speak to us. He will answer us. Seven says, uh, then, then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book is written of me. Eight says, I delight to do your will, my, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Nine, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. So at this point, David, he, he starts off talking about, I'm, I'm, God, I'm waiting on you patiently. I know I can't rush this. I know I can't do this. I can't force you to do anything. I'm waiting patiently. And then he, and then he cries out and says, I, I know you'll hear my cry. You've delivered me in the past. Here he starts talking about you'll deliver me in the past. But here in, in verse 9, he said, I have told the good news of deliverance in the great congregation. Now he's testifying. Now he's reminding God in these scriptures here of what God's done before. He's reminding God. And he's reminding God what, what he, where he's at. You know, then I beheld, and, and then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. And your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance to the great congregation. And point one, the first fill in the blank, I put God does hear us because he truly does and we need to know that. But the second fill in the blank today is God reaches down for us, reaches down for us. Keep that in mind. When we think that we're somebody and we think that we're so so smart and so wise and so strong. Remember that God has to reach down to us. When David cried, he, he had to incline to hear him. God reaches down to us. But the key is and the great thing is he does reach down to us. He does. If we're his children and we're an heir like he says we are, that he does and he will reach down to us. The rest of verse 9, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm going to give you half of that. He says, I have told the good news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lip, as you know, O Lord. He has not kept his mouth shut about what God has done for him. I think that's a key in our lives. When God delivers us, I think we need to, to not only to share people, but to remind ourselves. David talked about the deliverances in the past and looked back on them and reflected on them. Because he needed to remind himself that God's done it before, he'll do it again. 
but we also need to remind others and to share with them so that they also know that God is there for them as well. Verse 10 says, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. You know, it would not be in any way right for us as Christians, knowing what God can and will do in your life, knowing what he has done in your life, how could we call ourselves Christians and honestly believe that we are if we don't share it with somebody? If we don't give somebody else the opportunity to understand what God's done in our lives, that he'll do the same for them. To me, I use this example with the kids. A lot of times at the youth center, I say, you know, it's kind of like if you're standing next to the highway and you see a truck coming down the highway. You see an 18-wheeler coming down the highway and you see a kid out there playing with a ball. Ball runs out in the road. Now you're standing back and as, as an observer, you see the ball roll in the road, you see the kid run after the ball and you see the truck coming. You're standing back looking at the whole thing. You see it. I mean, it's, it's plain as day to you. But the child running after the ball only sees the ball. Doesn't see the truck. Doesn't see what's going on around him. Focused. Gotta have the ball. Gotta get that ball. I'm having fun. I want to continue to do what I want to do to have fun. Not knowing that a truck is heading straight for him. What kind of Christian would we be if we knew that a truck was coming and someone didn't see it coming and we just stood there? Poor guy. He's facing to get splattered. He's facing to get run over by an 18-wheeler. It's going to be straight out ugly. But don't do anything. What kind of a what kind of a Christian, what kind of a person would we be if we knew that someone was about to fall into a pit of destruction and we didn't help them in some way figure out how to deal with that, how to get out of that, how to call on God, how to cry on God? What kind of person would we be if we knew that destruction was heading in the way of somebody that didn't see it coming and we said nothing or we did nothing? Now, I know this is... This is taking a lot of us out of our comfort zone. This, is, this may be taking you to a place where, well, you know, I love God and, and I, you know, I don't mind talking to people about God, but it's just hard for me to, to walk up and just have a conversation with somebody about God. It's not hard if you reflect on the testimonies of your own life. If you remember what God's done in your life. If nothing else, tell people about the testimonies of your life, what God has done for you. You'll be amazed how powerful that is. And that brings us to our last fill-in-the-blank. We all know, we all know that the Bible says that we were created to glorify God. We're created to glorify God. What is one of the best ways that we, as Christians, can glorify God? What is one of the best ways we can do that? God is glorified by our testimonies. It's one of the most powerful ways that we have the ability to glorify God. It's one of the most powerful tools that you have in your arsenal to help somebody that's hurting or that's lost is to simply give your testimony. A friend of mine told me one time, actually a boss man told me one time we're about to go in front of a presentation at Honda. Guys coming in from Japan, all the big wigs were there. I was nervous. I was nervous. Anytime you give a presentation, you're, you're nervous even if you know what you're doing. And I told him, 
I'm nervous. And everybody agreed, the whole group said, we're nervous. We're nervous. How are we going to explain this? He said, and we were talking about this in our connection class this morning. He said, eat a banana. And a banana come up because Joe Mellon was telling me a story about uh, a guy that was uh, up, decided to go out on his own. And he stepped out on the stage, his legs started shaking. And he said, I can't do this. I'm fixed to walk away right now. I can't do this. I can't go solo. I can't stand in front of all these people. I can't be the main attraction. And he said, one of the other guys rolled an apple to his foot. And he said, when that apple rolled to his foot, he was fine. He's been making music ever since. He's been great. So her boss, I thought about this when, when Joe mentioned this this morning. I thought, he said, eat a banana. The banana, the potassium and the, the minerals in the banana will take away that anxiety. I thought, that's interesting. So we're all shoving bananas down our mouth, eating as many bananas as we can eat, trying to cram as many, uh, you know, as much potassium and minerals as we can in the next 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> and right before the presentation started, when I walked up there, I looked out and I said, said to myself, those bananas are a lie. <laughs> Whoever said that is a lie. <laughs> I've got more anxiety than before I ate the bananas. And now my, now my throat's full of banana juice, you know what I mean? This is not working out. So I, I, right before I went out, I, I, I told my boss, I said, man, the bananas ain't working. The bananas ain't working. I am a nervous friend. I can't even hardly talk. I feel like I'm just going to freeze up. And he said, listen. He said, do you know what you're talking about? And this whole thing that you've spent a year and a half working on. Do you know what you're talking about? Do you understand it? I said, well, yeah, I understand it. How am I going to relay it where other people can understand it? He said, you know the story, tell the story. So that's it. If you know the story, tell the story. If you have a testimony of something that God's done in your life in a powerful, mighty way when you needed it the most, tell it. Just tell the story. So after him saying this to me, it helped me tremendously. I mean, I got up there, and, and I was still nervous, but once I started telling the story, it's like it came, it's like I know what I'm talking about here. It's like then I'm trying to, like, do slide presentations in my mind, like, look, man, here's, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're working on. You start telling the story like you didn't know you could tell the story. A couple weeks later, the church I was in at that time, a pastor comes up to me and says, I want you to preach. I want you to preach on this day. Uh, okay. I was nervous. I was nervous again. I was like, here I am again. I'm nervous. You know, I, I usually don't have a problem speaking in front of people. Anybody that knows me knows this. But when you're getting up there delivering God's word, it's a whole different story, right? So as I was praying, I said, God, help me. God, I mean, give me the strength to do this. Tell me what to do. And I heard a voice. It said, tell the story. If you know the story, just tell the story. It's that simple. It's that simple. Our testimony is a powerful and mighty way to glorify the goodness and the mercy of God, of sending his son and then sending his spirit to live inside of us. The problem with us is that most of the time we think we need to make this happen. My biggest prayer for the last couple of weeks has been this, Lord, help me get out of the way. Help me to stay out of the way. Help me not to get in this, but to be an open vessel for you to spread your word and to minister to somebody today. If there's something going on in your life right now, you feel like you're in a pit, 
God hears your cries. He hears you. And he will answer them in due time. And you know this by looking back and seeing what he's done before. But if you've never experienced that, today's the day. This is the time. There's no better time than the present. Allow God to come into your heart, to change your mind, and to change your life. I promise you will be testifying of the goodness and mercy and greatness of God, just like we do here each week as, as, as Pastor Cody comes up and delivers this word. He does it because of what God's done in his life. What God's done in his life has moved him into such a way that he, he studies and he spends time and he prays and he gets closer to God and learns more each week of who God is. And he comes and brings it to us. God is here. His word is here. His spirit is here. His mercy, his greatness, and his glory is here. All we have to do is that ask him. Cry out to him. Trust in him. Wait patiently and depend on him. And I promise you, whatever pit you've ever been in, whatever pit you may go into, you'll never go alone. And I promise you there's nothing too great for our God. So if you have something going on in your life today, you have something that you need God to do, Psalms 40 is just one of many, 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 many scriptures that are telling you exactly what to do. God will never put you in a position where he won't answer you and help you and guide you through his Holy Spirit on what to do if you're seeking him and if you call on him. Let us pray. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon. 